Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Got your Bibles, and I hope you do. Open them up to the book of Galatians. We have, uh, Paul has been uh, having discussions with the church about the fact that they have turned from what he has taught them from the gospel and turned to another gospel. We are in the fourth chapter, and we're going to begin with verse 8, so let's get right into the scripture. I'm going to ask you to stand back up as we read God's word. He says, he says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have, may have labored over you in vain. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for Paul and the struggles that he's having with the church. Galatia is teaching us, Lord, that we cannot, we must not take our eyes off of you. And offer your perfect word. I pray, Father, that as we are going through these verses, these verses, exploring them, looking at them, Lord, that you give us wisdom that's far beyond our own to understand what your word says. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, we, we talked recently. As I was looking at these verses, you know, we have talked recently about the fact that, you know, we, we live in a, a world that is physical. And, and what I mean is we can, we can see it, we can touch it, we can, we can feel it. But there's also another world out there that is the spiritual world. And Scripture talks many times about it. We talked about it. We talked recently about the fact that Scripture says that there's a spiritual realm that has demons has Satan, has the fallen sons of God. It also has the counsel of God. They're all part of what Paul is talking about in these scriptures as the elemental principles of this world. In fact, it's the, it is the, uh, the dark side, if we want to take a Star Wars term. It is the demons, the fallen sons of God, what are sometimes called the watchers in books like Enoch, that are, the, that are the elemental principles of this world. And Paul is mentioning the, those in verse 3, and they play a key part in what he's trying to tell the church of Galatia. These elemental principles are hostile towards God and towards His will for mankind. Brian, can you turn that fan? Just turn it straight up and down, please. They're hostile towards what God wants for us. 
But what's interesting, in, in, this, in this book, in Galatians, he, he doesn't provide how we are to fight it, how we are to fight the principle of this, of this world. Now, we know in Ephesians, he does talk about it. He talks about we, you know, our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but the, against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on to talk about our, the armor, the spiritual armor that we have. But apparently the Galatian churches knew either they have, been, they have shared the letter from Ephesus in Galatia or they, he had told them while he was there how to fight these, the spirit world. They must have known. Now understand that, that you and I, before we knew Jesus as our Savior, we too were enslaved to these elemental powers. Scripture tells us that those, you know, those who are not believers are agents of the evil one. They are susceptible to what Satan wants to do in this battle. In Ephesians, Paul tells the church at Ephesus in, in chapter 2, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked. You were the walking dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Beloved, I, I, I truly believe that in our world today, the sons of disobedience are rearing their ugly heads. It's going to get worse. It's going to become more out there in the open. They've always been working in the world, but it's going to become more blatant as we move forward in, in these years to come. And he says, those are the ones who among whom you all once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, the, the world today is filled with people who are walking around. They are enslaved to the elemental principles of this world. They are clueless about their state of being. They do not know where that there is no hope in them. Oh, they seem like they do. They act like they do. But the reality is there is no hope. There is no future in this world. This world's days are numbered. As I've said many times, we are in the middle of a war. Not a war raged with guns and artillery. Believe me, that war would be a whole lot easier. If I knew what I needed to shoot, I'd be fine. The problem is, this war is a spiritual war. And the elemental principles of this world is what we are waging, raging war against. And it's in the spirit. As I said... Paul explained it to the church at Ephesus in, in, in verse 12 of chapter 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Anytime you see the words rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, think of Satan and his, uh, best way I can describe it, his cronies, the fallen sons of God, demons, that's who we are raging our war against. But no matter how great an influence the spirit realm has on our lives, it is still 
no excuse for us to say, well, you know, the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't make you do anything. We're not released from the responsibility for our own actions. I'm responsible for the thoughts and for the actions that I do. We must be aware that the spiritual forces are out there in the world and we must be vigilant against them. In our Sunday school class, we are talking about the progressive church, which is not Christian at all. It's another gospel. It preaches a different Jesus. It sure looks kind of like our Jesus. It's the, it's, it would be um, the hippie, sandal-wearing, love-everybody Jesus. That's what they want. It's not the gospel. They eliminate wrath. They eliminate hell. They eliminate sin. You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about your sin. And that doctrine is doctrine of demons. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we're, so we're battling against these spiritual forces. In every single one of us, we have the power to overcome them. Not in our own abilities, though. The only reason why we have the power is because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 9, Paul, will ultimately, what he's going to do, he's going to call these elemental powers, he's going to call them weak and worthless. Now, the world will tell you that the elemental powers are strong. They're, they're the strong ones. and No, they're weak, they're worthless. In 1 John, the Apostle John says, it's 1 John 4, 4, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit that is in us is greater than, than the powers of darkness that are in the world. See, the church at Galatia had found themselves in a very difficult situation, a very bad spot. See, on the one side, they had everything that Paul had taught them about Jesus and about the gospel, about salvation by faith, and by grace and faith, and faith in Jesus Christ alone, that's it. And then on the other side, they had the Judaizers who were, who were leading them into confusion. Uh, I, you know, I, can't, I can't stop but think that you know, that is one of Satan's favorite tools is confusion. He wants to confuse the church. So he introduces doctrine in churches that are not right that are against Scripture. He introduces feelings and emotions in relationships that destroy in marriages, in families, in friendships. He wants to separate. He locks us down. He masks us up. I'm not talking about the mask you see us wearing. He makes us put on our own mask when we're around other people that we should be openly honest about who we really are. And obviously some people will say that the masks are of Satan. I, I, they could be. I'm not, I don't know. But I, what I do know is the end result is what he likes. Confusion. Separation. Division. But the Galatian church is uncertain. Who do we do? What do we do? Do we, do we, do we stay here? 
or you know these guys sound right they sound valid they're smart they 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 tell us things we like to hear and due to that uncertainty they're they're not just following the judaizers they're beginning to return back to their idolatry You've you got to understand, at the Greco-Roman times, idolatry was rampant. It's always been rampant, really. It goes all the way back. We'll talk about, we'll talk a little bit, a little bit about the Israelites. I mean, it was rampant when they came out of Egypt and went into the desert amongst the Israelites. Idols were everywhere. Now, I'll argue that there's idols everywhere today. They just aren't, you know, stone statues that look like this. There are a lot of other idols in this world. But idolatry, open idolatry was rampant in the Greco-Roman world. And, and it was comfortable. It was easy. But the problem is, is that the, the Galatian church, what they were doing, they weren't just returning to another theology or another philosophy. They're returning to slavery. And we're just as guilty of that today. As creatures of habit, and that's what we are, we tend to return to what we know, what we're comfortable with, especially when it seems that things are getting tough, things are getting difficult in our lives. What do we do? We go back to the comfortable. I don't know about you, but when I get, when I get stressed, I like to be comforted. So what do I do? I gra- Give me a pint of ice cream, man. I'm telling you. It's comfortable. I don't care if it's vanilla. I'll make something out of it. It brings me joy for the moment until I get on the scale the next morning or the next two days later. Usually it's two days later. I'm like, man, I shouldn't have eaten that ice cream. A little late now, buddy. But we do. We return to what's comfortable. And we do that in our lives. How many times, you know, you go to the same place every day for work. Do you know that there's more than one way to go to work? There's one more than one path you can take to get to your job, to get to your office, to get to your store that you're working at. But what do you do? You take the same path every day. Why? Because it's comfortable. You go into the same door. Every night, you do the same routine over and over again. You brush your hair, you brush your teeth, you, you know, it's just A, B, C, and D. You don't even think about it. It's comfortable. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with all of that, but there's some things we should not be comfortable with. Because if we're not careful, we'll become like the Israelites wanting to return to Egypt. In the book of Numbers, listen to this. I never really thought about it until I was doing this sermon. I'm like, this is interesting. Numbers 14. It says, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, I want you to understand, when the scripture says all, that doesn't mean that everyone down to the single, to the small child was grumbling. It just means a large portion, unless it's, like it says, you know, well, the word was spread to all the world. Well, it wasn't in North America, you know. It was to the known world. You've got to understand the hyperbole there that scripture uses. So I, I believe there were some people who were not grumbling, but it was a vast majority of them who were. And they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Did you just hear that? Oh, I wish we would have died in Egypt. Or would that we have died in this wilderness. 
why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Things have gotten tough. They were going to be attacked. It says, our wives and their little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Now, now you would think that they would realize, I mean, come on, they had seen the pillar of fire and, and and the pillar of smoke. Smoke during the day and the fire at night. It had led them in the desert. They had seen they had seen Moses part the Red Sea. Or they will see it. They had seen God in Egypt do all the plagues. They had seen God kill the firstborn of all the of everybody in Egypt, except those that had the blood on the doors and on the lintel. They had seen God's power, and yet here they are grumbling and wanting to go back to Egypt. But they don't understand that turning back is not the way forward. But going back is the easy way. Going back is easy. We've been there. We've done that. It's okay. I'm comfortable doing that. We know how to survive and we feel comfortable in in our old habits, our former ways. But the reality is that comfort, that, that, you know, it's like the ice cream. That feeling of comfort I get from that ice cream is a lie. You know what it is? It's sugar. That's all it is. Fooling my brain into thinking that now everything will be good because I've eaten a half gallon of ice cream. Even if it is Rocky Road. Even if it is the salted caramel. Oh, We feel comfortable in the old ways, but it lies to us. Understand, just because I take a set of shackles, a set of handcuffs, and I put fur inside and around them, they're still handcuffs even though they feel comfortable on my hand and I'm still restricted. What's that saying? You can put a dress on a pig. It's still a pig. (laughs) still shackles. See, see to, turn, to turn back to our old ways is foolishness. First, because it leaves us powerless to move forward. Now, I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with our, our routines. There's nothing wrong with having a routine and being comfortable in that routine. The problem comes is when we live in that routine and we live and die by that routine. And when that routine, routine doesn't happen, we're out of sync. What I am saying is, we can't go back to the ways we used to live. And that's the one thing that evil wants us to do. He thinks if he can defeat us in our old ways, that he wins. To return to our former life does not provide us with more strength and more freedom. See, those that follow the ways of the world will say, well, I'm free. I get to do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about rules and regulations. I am free. 
They can do and they can believe what they want. I, I was doing some studying most of the day yesterday about the progressive church. And you look at some of the things they say and you're like, why do you believe that? Where does it say that? It doesn't say that, but I'm free, you know, I'm free to think however I want to think. Uh, no, you're not. Oh, you're free to think it. doesn't make it true. reality is that when we do that, when we are living in the, under the, the elemental principles of this world, we are enslaved to them. Talk to anyone who has recovered from an addiction, or is, I should say, is recovering from an addiction, because you never fully get rid of it. And they'll tell you, yeah, it's always there. It's slavery. When I'm in the midst of an addiction, it is slavery. I, that's all I think about. I live, eat, and breathe it. It's all-consuming. And they'll tell you what slavery is really like. To return to our former lives is to return to bondage. See, the irony that Paul expresses is that not only is the church returning to those, that life, they want it. You and I, we want sin. Have you thought about that? Why do we sin? Because we want it. In that moment of weakness, we want that because we feel comfort in that. We want it. The Israelites wanted to return to Egypt. Even though we know that, that, that we are enslaved to those sins and it leads to death. Is that what we want? Do we, do we really want to be enslaved to the principle of this world? Do we really want to return to slavery? Do we really want to return to addictions? And, and, and I don't think so, but I think that's what our bodies, what our sin nature wants. And that's why Paul says we must put it to death. Do sins in the debauchery of our life before Christ seem so enticing that we would gladly hold out our hands and say, shackle me up, buddy, I'm ready to go. St. Augustine, uh, who lived from 354 to 430 A.D., he found it was practically impossible to break free of his pre-conversion practices. And in a book he wrote called Confessions, this is what he says. And I love the way he says this. He says, I was held back by mere trifles and most paltry inanities. All my old attachments, they plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered, are you going to dismiss us? From this moment, we shall never be with you again, forever and ever. From this moment, you will never again be allowed to do this thing or that forevermore. What was it, my God, that they meant when they whispered this thing or that? Things so sordid and so shameful that I beg you in your mercy to keep the soul of your servant free from them. How do... How do we do it? How do we resist them? We don't on our own. It takes God 
in us to resist going back to slavery. When the road is hard and we're tempted to turn back, our old life calls to us, promising us a life of joy, a life of peace. Remember, remember the fun we used to have? Remember, remember the good times? Remember the great feelings that you had? And you're like, yeah, they were great. What we don't remember is the regret. What we don't remember is the sadness, the loneliness that comes from those things. old life calls us, promising us joy and peace, but the reality is all we're going to get is slavery and separation from God. We have to ignore the voices of our old lives, those attachments that attempt to cling to us, to draw us away from God and turn a deaf ear to the, and a blind eye to their enticements. Because the problem is, is when we turn from, when, we, when we're following Christ, or when we're on that road where God is calling us, and we turn back to the things of our old life, we're not just turning our back on a philosophy or a theology. We are turning our backs on the very one who truly knows us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. If we don't do this, we, you know, we'll be turning our backs on the very God who knows us better. As believers in Christ, we have been given the truth of the gospel. We know God, but it's not the same as being known by God. See, to know God is the essence of the Christian life. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, that's what eternal life is, is to know Jesus. But the essence of knowing God is to be known by God. The psalm I read at the beginning of this service, right before the first song, it begins with, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Notice the past tense. From the foundations of the world, he knew you and knows you, and is, you are known by him. You know that when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. He knows everything. He knows all your habits. He knows all your patterns. He knows the way you drive to work every day. He knows how you get up in the morning, how you go to bed at night. He knows all the thoughts you have in your head, all the things you're going to think. He knows them before you even say them. Even before the word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in. Behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. See, not only does God know when we come and when we go, what we think, our intimate thoughts, our feelings, he hems us in. Now, you might think that sounds kind of negative, right? He, oh, I want to go this way, but God says, nope, you can't. Or I want to go this way, he says, nope, you can't. But this idea of being hemmed in by God is that he provides a buffer zone for us. He protects us. He keeps us from going to places we shouldn't go. And sometimes 
that hemming in hits my back and makes me go in directions I need to go. He hems us in. He's wrapped us in His arms, knowing what we need and how we need to be protected. He's not distanced from us. All Everybody in this church who's been dealing with struggles, God is there. He knows about it. He knows you. He's protecting you according to His will. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who's a Christian is going to have a wonderful life and never have any problems. Because he, he tests us. He allows us to, to, to deal with grief, to understand pain, to deal with sorrow. Most of you know, if you get the email, I found, we found out this week that my father has maybe six months to live. Cancer's throughout his whole body. And oh, I cried. Right there in the room with the doctor and my parents. But you know what? In that same time, I'm like, God is good. Because he has hemmed us in. He knows what we can handle and he's with me all the time. He's going to with, be with my mom and dad the whole way. And when it's time, when my dad's day is up, I know where he's going. And I know he'll be waiting for me. God is good. He never lets go. I saw saying that song this morning. He's not distance from us. He's here with us. He has his hand upon us. And what that should do is that should bring us comfort and security. Like I say, not that he's going to pull us out of every trial that we have. People in our lives are going to die. That's part of life. But God is still good. And he's still with us. Being known by God means that we have been chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world. You don't believe me? Read Ephesians 1.4. We were kept as the apple of his eye and under the shadow of his wings. Psalm 17.8. Our name is written in the book of life. Revelation 20.15. You know that all your deeds are also written in books? The angels, the watchers, report on everything we do. Knowing that God is pleased to give us his kingdom. We will have the kingdom of God. Luke 12, 32. It is utter insanity to turn back and go to our former lives. Total and utter insanity. Now, Paul, in verse 10, he, he, he gives a, a very interesting little snippet about and what he says here is, he says, he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And there's an exclamation point. Not that there was an exclamation point in the original manuscript. It's that the words that were used in the Greek mean exclamation. So they put an exclamation point. Now, we might, might think that, what's the big deal about observing? We all observe days. We, we, we had on there birthdays and anniversaries. We observe days. We observe holidays. And this, but this idea of observing the days, months, seasons, and years comes from either the Mosaic Law or it comes from paganism. The Mosaic Law always would have holidays. The holidays were foreshadowings of a future events. 
For, and, and if you don't know this, the one future event that has not been done yet is the uh, Feast of Trumpets. And that some believe that that's when Christ will return is on the Feast of Trumpets. There are foreshadowings. In the pagan world, they celebrated all kinds of stuff. It's amazing. You look at your calendar. I have an electronic calendar on my phone. And I swear there's a new holiday all the time. If you have to look at a calendar to remind, to tell you, to tell someone that you love them, it's National Love Your Wife Day, so make sure you love your wife today. You better be loving her every day. But it's not that we can't celebrate Christmas. It's not that we can't celebrate Halloween. Well, Halloween's questionable. I don't really want to get into that right now. That's probably a whole sermon right there. Or a week? Yeah, a week. A whole week of sermon. You know, we don't, there's nothing wrong with that. But see, the New Testament never commands us to observe special days. Doesn't mean that that observing a holiday is wrong or sinful, but we're not obligated to do so. See, in Romans, what, what Paul does, he points out that some people consider one day to be more holy than another. Romans 14.5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. He says, Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He's saying, don't sit there and judge someone just because they don't celebrate or make one day holy that you make holy, because there's one day is like any other day. In fact, all days are holy to God. See, that's the problem with, with this world today where people go about their lives and they live their lives and they, they live them on the razor's edge of living, oh, I'm in sin, but I'm not. In, I'm going to church on Sunday, so I'm good. I make Sunday holy, so I'm good. It's, it's, it's like the booster shot for your, for your week. Oh, I got, my, I got my Jesus on Sunday so that I could do my devil the rest of the week. All days are holy to God. Rest on the Sabbath was part of the Mosaic law, which was fulfilled in Christ. He is now our Sabbath rest. So resting from work on Saturday or Sunday is not an obligation. But if you wish to do it, there's nothing wrong with that. If you wish to not work on Sunday, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you don't put resting on Sunday above loving other people. That's the problem. If in the process of resting you break one of the other commandments, according to Jesus, then what good is the resting? You can rest on the Sabbath. There's nothing that says you can't. But we're not obligated to it. And if you do it, and you're doing it for the Lord, awesome. You're sure in it. You're fine. But don't sin in it. Don't be unloving to someone because they don't. Or if they ask you, aren't you going to go to work, don't be nasty about it. Some believe that observing a day as holy is a means of receiving grace. Understand, if, if you rest on the Sabbath, you're not going to get any additional grace than anybody else does who doesn't rest on the Sabbath. That's not where grace comes from. Grace is a free gift that's given to everybody. God will reward, will not reward you for keeping the Sabbath. 
That's Old Testament. It was fulfilled in Christ. This is grace by works, if you think it is. If you think you're going to get rewarded for resting on... In fact, if you're resting on the Sabbath and that's because you want to get a reward from God, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You better rethink it. If you're resting because you're praising God and that's how you praise God, more power to you. Awesome. But it's unbiblical because God's grace is free. We cannot rest on the Sabbath or follow any of the other commandments just so we think we're going to get God's grace. Grace is free. It's given to us freely. It's unmerited favor. Paul says in Romans 11, 6, he says, but if it, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. If salvation is by grace, it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Ignatius uh, was a disciple of the Apostle John. I've been reading a lot of his writings recently. And he wrote in one of his books called Tralians. Tralians, they were a, um, they were a, they were mercenaries hired out by the Romans. And he's writing against them. And here's what he says. He says, Christians do not observe the Sabbath, but the Lord's day. See, the early church, they separated the Sabbath, which was Friday to Saturday night, from the Lord's day. And what is the Lord's day? The Lord's day is where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you decide that you, like I said, you want to rest, great. But if we want to worship, we're going to worship. I work on the Sabbath day. Nothing wrong with that. If I'm celebrating and worshiping the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We gather on Sunday, not the Mosaic rules of the Sabbath from Friday to Saturday night. There's nothing wrong either way, but you must be sure of yourself and make sure you're not sinning against other people in the process. One of the last things you have to remember is you have to remember what others have invested in you. See, Paul had exposed the Galatia churches. He had exposed them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had, he had labored over them. We'll find out next week. We'll look and we'll see how he, he talks about what he did while he was there. I think we'll get to that. What it was like. He exposed them to the core of the gospel. And now they're turning away from the gospel. And Paul is afraid that his laboring was in vain. Now, at first glance, that seems like, well, why is he worried about it? I mean, isn't it the job of a pastor just to preach and let the chips fall where they may, right? See, Paul seems to be basing his success as the apostle to the Gentiles on the perseverance of those who he converted to the faith by the proclamation of the gospel. See, as a pastor, we're con I'm constantly reminded that I'm responsible to share the gospel and the truth and let things happen the way they are. The Holy Spirit's responsible for taking what I say and what the scriptures say and working it in your lives. And you're responsible for allowing him to do so. But I can tell you that if my proclaiming of the truth falls on deaf ears or those who, um, who I am preaching to and teaching return to a life of sin, I will not, I cannot remain indifferent to it. It breaks my heart. 
It's like a father. You know? Who raises a child and that child turns from the way that he, his father taught him. I can't be indifferent. It's probably one of the greatest one of the greatest struggles I have as a pastor is when I feel that I'm ineffective. Or what I'm saying is not making a difference. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm preaching straight from the word. I'm using scripture. But nothing changes. And I have to keep telling myself, okay, God, I know it's not my responsibility. I need to preach, and that's it. But it does bother me. It hurts. Uh, I imagine that Paul shed a tear about the Galatian believers. But not, not necessarily out of regret at, the, regret at this time. I mean, he's not regretful yet. He's saying, did I labor in vain? He's on that edge. But he's distressed. He'd been vested in them. He spent so much time investing in them. And yet they threw it all away and turned their backs on him, on the gospel, and they turned their backs on God. His final appeal, appeal is that they not break his heart. Don't break my heart, he says. Not to squander everything he had done, everything he had suffered for them. Because he knows that in the end, when we stand before Christ, that those that he led to Christ, they're going to be his crown of joy. It says in 1 Thessalonians, he tells the church, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. It's appropriate that I ask all of you, do you realize or appreciate how many people have invested in you over the years? The hours of prayer that has been poured out for you. The hours of preparation and study that have poured into lessons for your Sunday school time, for your teachers or the pastors you've been under. They've given so much to you that you may be, so that you would be exposed to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the sacrifices your parents have made for you and your grandparents have made for your sake. See, if you abandon the faith, if you slip back into the hands of the elemental powers of this world, you will be wasting their investment in you. You not only will break their hearts, but you'll squander their spiritual labor that's been given on your behalf. If you forsake Christ, it'll all be in vain for you and for others. But on the other hand, if we walk in truth, if we persevere in our faith, we will bring great joy to those who've poured out so much into our lives when Christ comes back. I mean, think about that. If you're a parent, how awesome would it be, is it going to be when you stand before God, Christ is coming, you stand before him, and your son or daughter is standing there with you. And even more so, if there's a whole line of spiritual sons and daughters standing behind you. I was listening to a podcast this week and they were talking about Revelation. And they're talking about the church at Ephesus. And I just want to share this with you because it's fresh on my mind. 
And theologians are now believing, you know, the church at Ephesus was the one that had forgotten their first love. And we think, oh, well, they don't love Jesus anymore. Oh, no, they were doing everything right. They, they, were, they were doing, they were persevering in the faith. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They loved Jesus. The problem was they forgot, because it says, it doesn't say, you know, you've forgotten your first love. Now, go back and love Jesus more than you did at first. No, it says, do the things you did at first. Well, what did they do at first? Well, when they first came to faith, they started telling everybody about it. And so theologians now believe what that actually means is the fact that they stopped sharing the gospel. They stopped sharing the gospel. They're perfectly happy in their little building or little homes with their own little group. Nobody shared the gospel with anybody. So God says, what am I going to do? I'm going to take your lampstand. You're not going to be a church anymore. You're not going to have the presence of God anymore. We can't go back. We can't fall back into our own ways, old ways. We must move forward. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.